Well, welcome, everybody. I know I see some new faces here, and we're so glad that you're here. My name is Pastor Dave, and I'm the senior pastor here. And for those of you who are here for the first time, we have been going through uh, the uh, chap- Romans chapter 8, which I consider one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible. And why have we been doing this? Well, because we want to create a culture of what? Discipleship. We want to create. So in the next five years, our goal is to create a culture of discipleship here. And in order for us to do this, we have to lay lay a firm what? Foundation. All right, you guys are getting it. Right? I'm going to keep saying this until you're sick of hearing me say this. And then I knew you got, you know, then I know you have it. But right, and so it's important for us to have this firm foundation because when we disciple others, your Christian life isn't just about you knowing more about God. It isn't just about you becoming more righteous and becoming more like Jesus. It's you becoming that so you could what? Make disciples of other people. And it's so important that you have the right foundation because if you don't, then you're passing on a, a weak foundation to the next generation and so forth and so forth. And that's what we want to uh, do. And that's why we've been going through Romans um, chapter 8. And I hope it's been a blessing to you. It's certainly been a blessing to me because I never reuse my sermons. I know a lot of people said, Dave, at your age, it'll be so much easier if you just crank out your old sermons. But you know what? I don't do that. And the reason I don't do that, because every time I do a sermon, it forces me to study. It forces me to look at scripture. And when I do, it gets me so excited when I read the word of God. And I hope that that's been your journey too, because Romans 8 is just such an awesome awesome um, chapter. But I want to ask you a question. How many of you are gamers? Any of you gamers here? Or come on, there's got to be more than two of you. Um, But anyway, there you go. There you go. You know, I'm a gamer too. But I don't like these first um, person shooter games like Call of Duty just because I'm just so bad at those games, right? I get shot And then I uh, spawn somewhere else. And the minute I come back, I get shot. It's not like I have a chance to do anything. I I just get killed. So frustrating. Um, But to the uh, frustration of my wife, I like role-playing games. Those are the games I like is where you control a character and you just go on all of these quests. And I just love those games. And those of you know, what's my favorite game? Legend of Zelda, the greatest game that I think was ever created by Nintendo, started in 1986. I've been playing it for 36 years. Oh, that's longer than a lot of you guys have even been born. That's probably twice as old as some of you are, you know, right now. But, you know, there's this player, if you go to that. Now, this is Link, right? Now, he's the hero. He's the player that you control. So if I want him to attack somebody, he'll attack somebody. If I want him to go here, he'll go here. But I could control it. You know, when you play these other games, right, you have, you're playing on a team, and they're telling you where to go, what to do. You know, I can't stand that. I just like to do things on my own. So I play this guy. So he's my, and of course, that's Zelda right there. And he's the one that he's trying to save and protect and this is from the legend of zelda breath of the wild which to me is the best game in history right (laughs) i've played it like a million times and it's so big i'm still learning stuff but you know 
and going to areas that I never knew existed, right? But in this game that you, you, you control them, and so he goes wherever you want to go. But there's also um, what they call a non-player character. Now, if you go to this one, you see this is um, a Link, and he's, a, he's in a store. And then the store owner is what they call a non-player character. Basically, they're only programmed with a certain response. I go in there, and they, you know, welcome me. How could I help you? And in this case, they say, I want to buy some butter. I want to buy some eggs or bell peppers or um, these um, animal gut, Right. And so, but he's only programmed with a certain amount of responses. Um, He'll either say, well, you don't have enough rupees, which means I don't have enough money to buy those things. Or, you know, when I leave, he'll, you know, he'll say goodbye, come back again. But no matter how many times I go to this store, the guy always tells me the same thing, right? And then we've seen movies like Tron, you know, Wreck-It Ralph, and more recently, Free Guy, who are telling a story based upon the viewpoint of some of these video characters or these non-player characters. And basically what's the theme is like, hey, we're video characters. Do I even have a choice to make a difference in this game? Or can I only do what I'm programmed to do? And that's the basis of a lot of these games. Kind of like the storekeeper. He could only do one thing and that's what he was uh, programmed to do. But when it comes to our salvation, do we have a choice? Or are we, or do we not, or has that choice been made for us? Right? And that's what we're going to talk about today. And so I, I know this is going to sound like, hey, you're in um, a theology class. And it might sound like that. But at the end, there are some marvelous blessings that are, whether you believe you were able to choose your salvation for yourself or it was chosen for you, there are some marvelous blessings given to the children of God. So I hope that you hang in there long enough to hear that. But if we go to um, the first slide, Romans 8.28. We talked about this last week, and this, and this is what Paul says. And we know in that all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, this is such an awesome verse that God, when you, talk about, when you think about the myriad possibilities of your life that are due to cause and effect, right? I mean, gazillion possibilities and outcomes that somehow... God knows these possibilities and he causes all of them to what? To work for good for his children. And that was what we learned last year, that no matter what happens in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that God causes all of it for your good. And that, that is something that helps us as we go through our suffering, that good, will come out of it. And then we go to the next um, um, verse in Romans eight twenty nine. It says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And then he said, For those God, for the, who are the those that he's talking about in this verse? Well, once again, let's go back to Romans eight twenty eight. It says, Those who love him who have been called according to this purpose. So Romans 29 is continuing on Paul's thought in Romans 28, and he's referring to who? 
all who are children of God, all who call themselves a disciple of Jesus Christ. These verses apply to you and you alone. These verses do not apply to everyone. Okay? And then he goes on. Romans, um, I'm sorry, let's go back to Romans 8.29 and continue. It says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So the word here that talks about do we have a choice or not is the word predestined. Meaning, was our salvation fated to be? And this begs the question, do I have a choice or am I an NPC? Non-player character. Meaning, <laughs> I don't, I'm, I, there's only a, one response I could do. right? One response that I could give. Is that the way it is with my salvation? Was it... Predestined. Now, this is a doctrine of what you call election or free will. Okay? And, and one thing I want to make perfectly clear here. When it comes to theology, when it comes to interpreting the Bible, a lot of what we believe is based on the scholarship of someone else. We always look at Scripture. We always interpret Scripture through a certain lens. But isn't that the way we look? Like, uh, we live our life? I mean, how we interpreted what happened in COVID-19 was largely determined by how we view life, right? Mask or unmask? Quarantine, no quarantine. Vaccination, unvaccination, when we make these choices or the response or the feelings that we got to either one of these things was largely based upon what? How we view life. And that's the same thing with Scripture. You know, some of us look at it through a more conservative and traditional lens, and that's the way we interpret Scripture. Others look at it from a more progressive lens. But either way, we all have to admit that we all look at Scripture through a certain lens, and this is why we can't go finger-pointing at the other person and saying, you're right, I'm wrong, and we're constantly fighting back and forth, right? And so this is one of them, those times where you have two opposing views on this, right? And so who did we... um, Whose lens are we looking at? Well, primarily there are two people's lenses that determine what most believers believe regarding this doctrine of election. The first one is John Calvin. Okay, Now, John Calvin was one of the reformers, but he focused on the power and sovereignty of God. Salvation is an act of an all-powerful and sovereign God who chose or elected or predestined certain individuals to be his children. Salvation is an act of God and God alone. Our choice had no bearing on our salvation. And so what um, Calvin is saying here is that we don't have a choice. That God elected each one of whoever became his children. It wasn't because of your choice, but God in the past had elected you to become one of his children. And before you say, well, you know what, that's crazy. How could anyone come up with that? Well, let's take a look at Romans 9, all right, in the very next chapter. 
It says, not only that, but Rebekah's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. And at the time, you know, Rebekah was pregnant with twins, right? And um, those of you who are a twin, you might, you know, connect with this story. It says, yet, before the twins were born or had any, who had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election, predestination, might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older would serve the younger, which this was rare. Because back in those times, what? The older person had all of the um, power. The older person had the authority. The older person got the lion's share of the um, estate. And the older person, older brother, rather, always had the position of blessing. But then God said, no, the younger one's, older one's going to serve the other, which was um, really rare. And then it says, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Remember Jacob and Esau, the story of the brothers? But now when it says here, God hated Esau, he didn't really literally hate Esau. But what he's saying is I'm going to choose Jacob, who's a younger, not Esau, to be the father of the nation of Israel. Then he goes on. What shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Once again, what's Paul saying here that, hey, you know, these events that happen, it's not, it has nothing to do with you, but it has everything to do with God and God being sovereign and um, who he wants to have mercy on. It says, for scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you and that by my name might proclaim in all the earth. And so what's he saying here? Remember Pharaoh, you know, um, Israel was held in captivity and then Moses comes and he says, let my people go. And what did Pharaoh say? No. And so every time he said no, what did God do? He sent a plague, right? And so what Paul is um, uh, saying here is that, okay, God created Pharaoh just for the purpose of denying Israel passage to freedom so that God can be glorified, right? And then... um, What he was saying in verse 19, it says, Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. Once again, it says that God was responsible for the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And he did it on purpose to show his power. And then this brings us to the next um, logical conclusion, Romans 19, One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will? And he said, hey, how could God blame us? If we were created to do this, if God is the one that hardens Pharaoh's heart, how can you blame Pharaoh for his actions? You can't blame him because he had no choice. Right? And then Paul answers that. Verse 20. But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is being formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like that? 
Does a potter not have the right to make out of the same lump of, lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? And he said, well, wait a second. Who are you to question God? You know, God's the creator. He created you. Doesn't he have the right to create fine china to have these wonderful meals placed on him? And doesn't he have a right to create a cereal bowl that you're just going to have frosted flakes? You know, whether you're a piece of china or whether you're a cereal bowl, hey, God is the one who could decide these things. And who are we to argue uh, with them? And then he goes on, he says, now this is where it gets difficult. Romans 9, 22. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the object of his wrath prepared for destruction? What's he saying? He's, God is saying, look, I'm a righteous God. And to, just to show you the severity of sin and its consequences, I will create or choose people who are destined for eternal destruction. So you could see the severity and the consequences of sin. So I'm going to create people who are predestined for that. And then he goes on. However, what if um, he did to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy whom he prepared in advance for glory. And once again, he goes, I'm a merciful God. And to show you this, I will choose some who deserve hell and I will have mercy on them so they could go to heaven and spend eternity with me. Right? And so this is what these two um, verses are saying. And then it says, verse 24, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentile. That God chose from both the Jewish people and the Gentiles to be either created for destruction or created to show display God's mercy. Now, how does that sit with you? Yeah. Now, for those of you who are saved, for those of you who are children of God, it's like, hey, I have no problem with this. You know, hey, I'm going to heaven. It's all good, right? But then when it comes to, well, what about, man, my loved ones? What about the people I know that aren't saved? Does that mean that they don't have a chance? That God created them to go to hell? And there's, I mean, he didn't not create them to go to hell, that we send ourselves to hell because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but he did not choose us to go to heaven. He does not choose them to go to heaven. And if he didn't choose you, there's nothing you could do to change that, right? And this is what Calvin called his ir irresistible grace, right? If God chooses you or predestined you to become his child, you will come and you will believe in him no matter what. You might think you chose God, but you didn't. It was predestined for that to happen. Okay, so that's one. A verse. Another view we look at is Jacobus Arminius. And he focused on the love of God who died for all and would give people the choice to either choose or reject the gift of salvation. And he says, man has the ability to choose salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is very different 
from Calvin. Because Calvin said, no, you don't have a choice. That so- a sovereign God made that choice. Why? Because he is God and that is not unjust. Although Arminius said that he, that man has a choice. And it says, God gave us free will to allow us to choose or not to choose his gift of salvation. It says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the image of his son. Okay? So once again, for those who God foreknew would choose him. That way in um, the past, God knows that out of our free will, there'd be certain individuals that would choose him. And then he, uh, we see this in Isaiah fourteen, thirteen. It says, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You have said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphron. Now, here we're talking in context. It's a reference to the king of Babylon. But a lot of scholars thinking think that this is also reference to the fall of Satan, right? That Satan, we believe, was probably, well, Lucifer was God was the most powerful being that God created. He was the most powerful of all angels. However, he chose to what? Want to usurp God's authority. He wanted to sit on God's throne, right? And so what did God do? God cast him out, and when he cast him out of heaven, he became known as Satan, okay? So we do know that God gave what? Lucifer, a choice to either obey me or not. And Lucifer used his choice to try to overthrow God. But we also see in Revelation 12 that a third of the angels followed Lucifer in their attempt to overthrow God. And they became what we know as demons. So they had, God created them with free will. Well, let's look at another example. In Genesis 2.15, the Lord took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded them, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Have you ever wondered, God, why did you even put that tree there? If you didn't put that tree there, we would be fine. Why do you think God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there? To give mankind a choice to either obey him or disobey him because God didn't want robots, right? He didn't want people who are NPCs, right? That they had no choice but to love him. Because that's all they were programmed to do. He didn't want that. He gave us free will. And I think some of us, to the extent, might, might understand that. Because if, for those of you on relationships, how many of you want a girlfriend, boyfriend, or wife or husband to love you because they have no choice? You know, you know I love you, but I have no choice. I'm an NPC. I was programmed before time to love you, and I will love you no matter what. And you can't stop me. I mean, nobody wants to be in that kind of relationship, right? And so God didn't want that. So he gave us a 
free will, right? And free will is so important that he gave it to the angels who we saw use that free will to disobey God, but he also gave it to mankind who the majority would use their free will to reject God. It says, for God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. So God's election, we believe in, if you're a free Methodist, we follow the teachings of Jacobus Arminius. We are not Calvinists. Now, I'm not saying they're right and we're wrong, but I'm just saying that we follow the teachings of Arminius, meaning that we believe that we all have free will and God loved us to give us that free will, which we could choose him or not to choose him, okay? But God's election is based upon his foreknowledge of who would believe him and who would not believe in him. So what we're saying here is that God knows, God's omniscient, he knows everything, that he knew who would choose him out of their free will and who would not. And once he knew that, then that decision was predestined, okay? But he also said, for those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, whether you believe in election or whether you believe in free will, that there are wonderful blessings that are associated with being a child of God. And this is what the Apostle Paul is stating right here. And the first thing is that we are called. Okay, we are called. Now, when you think about it, God called us. And that's that, you know, that inner calling. Because when you think about it, how crazy the things that we believe in, right? So somebody asked you, so you believe that this Jesus, he had no father, right? Oh, yeah, I believe that. Okay, you believe that there's this Jesus guy who actually turned water to wine? I'm, yeah, I believe that too, <laughs> I said, that's nuts. You believe in a guy that walked on water and could calm a storm? They go, yeah. Well, how many humans have you seen done that? Right? You believe a guy could feed, you know, over 10,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish and have 12 baskets full left over? Absolutely. And could you We don't think of it from their perspective. They probably think we're nuts. Right? Because how many of us would believe those things? And you say, well, also you believe this guy was actually crucified. He was killed. And three days he rose from the dead. Oh, yeah, that's the basis of my faith. I absolutely believe that. And they go, okay, you're nuts. But, I mean, if somebody came to us with those outrageous claims about something else, how many of us would believe it? You're, you're nuts. But here we see this and other claims in the Bible that we believe as absolute truth. And why do we do that? Because the Holy Spirit has called us and guides us into all truth. And we believe it's true. So he called. But he didn't just call us to salvation. He called us to live a life experiencing God as our Father as we live here on earth. A lot of us think that God just called us. So when we die, we go to heaven. And yeah, that's a big perk. That's a huge perk, right? But he also called us because he goes, I want you to experience me as your father as you live here on earth. And how many of us are missing out on that right now? Because we just want to do our own thing. We want to be the God of our own life. We want to make our choice, our own choices. And God's saying, Dave, I'm your father. 
I want you to experience this father-son relationship while you're here on earth. So many of us are missing out on that. But then those he called, he justified us. He declared us not guilty. For what? For everything. Every sin that we ever committed, every sin that we will ever commit, God declared us not guilty. Guilty. There is no double jeopardy. We cannot be tried for the same offense. Now, I want you to think about the worst thing that you've ever done right now. Think about it. You're justified. God forgive the, for giving you that. There's everything that you've done. God forgave you. Isn't that wonderful? For, especially those like me who make mistakes every single day. Uh, oh, I made one the other day when somebody cut me off on... Mission Avenue, right? But I had to confess and I said, okay, God, thank you for forgiving me. Help me to maintain my composure next time. But God forgives you for everything. Now, it doesn't mean that, woo, I could do whatever I want because God forgive me. No, that's not what he's saying here. But you are justified. God has forgiven you for everything, for all time. And this is why forgiveness is so important. Because God has declared you not guilty. And he says, if you do not forgive others, I will not forgive you. Now, we know that God's not saying that literally because I just told you that God has forgiven you. But what he's saying here is that if you do not forgive others, the fellowship we have, the relationship as father and child will be fractured. You know, it is impossible to have peace with God. It is impossible to be close to God as long as we hold a grudge against somebody else. Why? Because God forgave us for the trillion-dollar debt that we couldn't pay for, which is our sinful nature. And he's saying all of the sins that other people commit against you, those are these little $5 sins. You, but you need to forgive them. I know that's hard, and forgiveness is a process. But this is a principle. You will never, ever, ever feel close to God or be close to God as long as you hold a grudge against somebody else. Why? Because God has declared us not guilty. He's forgiven us for everything, and we need to forgive others. And finally, he says, we will be glorified. We have the certainty knowing that we will experience glory beyond our wildest imagination. And this is what Paul is saying. He said the glory that we are going to experience in heaven can't even be compared to the suffering that we're going through right now. You know, some, like I said earlier, some of you might be suffering right now. And I don't want to take away from your pain. I don't want to take away from your suffering. But one day, one day, you are going to experience glory that will make this look like nothing. Your suffering look like nothing. This past week, we, we lost a family member of the church. But in actuality, she was a lucky one. Because now she's in heaven, experiencing this glory while we're still here on earth. 
But this is a promise. And all of these things that you were called, that you were justified, that you were glorified, these things God predestined to happen to you who became child of God. And there's nothing you could do to change that. There's nothing you could do to make God not forgive you if you are a child of God. Why? Because he's forgiven you. There's nothing that you could change the, the fact that one day you're going to experience glory if you are a child of God. You know, you might think, oh man, I'm messing up, but there's nothing you could do to change that. Why? Because God predestined all of his children to experience that. And to me, that's such a wonderful blessing. And I hope it was for you. And, and as we think about life, as we think about was I elected, you know, did God choose me or did he not choose me when it comes to salvation? You know, they're both in the Bible. You know, in my mind, I'm not smart enough to figure that out, which is which. They both exist. We both, both um, doctrines exist. How that works, I don't know. But you could rest on these promises that God has called you. He has forgiven you completely and that there's glory that each one of us are going to experience. So what's our weekly challenge? Our weekly challenge is to read Romans 8, 28 through 30 daily. Now, once I say read it, once again, I don't want you to read it just to check it off. Every time you go to Scripture, this should be your response. Is God, as I read your word today, Father, would you reveal to me what you want to teach me through your word? Because God wants to teach you. God wants to speak to you through his word. And then every day, pray for someone whom you would like to accept God's gift of salvation. Even if you believe in election and say, well, God, my prayer is not going to matter anyway because if they're saved, you're going to save them whether I pray or not. That's not what he's saying. Right, Because even if you do believe in election, that God will use you to what? Help bring that person to salvation. And finally, every day, thank God that he has declared you not guilty and has an eternal plan for you. You know, you guys this week, you're going to make all kinds of mistakes. For all you gamers, something's going to happen and you're going to say something that's not very Christian. Right? <laughs> remember that God, I mean, ask for forgiveness, but remember that God has forgiven you. God, so there is no need for us to fear. There is no need for us to feel guilty. Why? Because remember the first verse we said, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God will never, ever, ever, ever condemn you. Why? Because he declared you not guilty. So why would God condemn somebody he declared as not guilty? And I always say, if you are condemning yourself, if you have these condemning voices in your head because you made a mistake, I guarantee you that is not coming from God. That is either coming from you or that's coming from Satan. It does not come from God. Because the Bible says there is no condemnation. Why? Because he's justified you. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing. Would you please meet, join me in prayer and worship uh, team? Please come forward. Gracious Heavenly Father.
we know that sometimes scripture could be confusing. Did you elect us um, to be saved or did we choose? And Father, at this point we could say we don't really know because both are there. But Father, all we could do is thank you for the mercy that you've shown to each one of us, for the great love that you've shown each one of us. Father, that while we were sinners, Father, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. And you justified us, saying that all of our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. So we do not have to live a life of guilt. We don't have to live a life with these voices of condemnation going around in our head because you have forgiven us. And Father, I want to pray for individuals who are sitting here and maybe they've done something in the past and they constantly hear these voices of condemnation where they can't forgive themselves. Father, would you let them know that that voice is not coming from you? that you do not condemn your children because you've completely forgiven them of everything. Father, may you allow us to live a life free of guilt and shame because you've forgiven us. Father, would you ease these individuals' emotional pain? Would you allow them to leave their mistakes in the past and move forward knowing that yes, we all make mistakes, and some of the consequences are greater than the others. But you made a promise to each one of your children that no matter how bad that mistake was, number one, you've forgiven us, but number two, you said that you are going to cause good to come out of that. Thank you so much for that, and we love you for that. And as we get ready to take communion, Lord, may we just come before you with a grateful heart, thanking you that you loved us to send your son Jesus Christ into this earth to die for us. And Father, may we have great gratitude for your son Jesus Christ who suffered, was beaten, was spat upon, and who experienced excruciating pain on the cross, that we might have our sins forgiven. And may we be grateful for the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth, that no matter how outrageous the things may sound that we believe, that it is through your Holy Spirit that verifies and tells our souls that it is true. We thank you so much for that. In your son's name we pray, amen.